0: When the mind is at rest, one is free to be wise. When the heart is is in peace, wisdom arises quite easily, quite naturally on its own. So many of you in this circle last night expressed touching calm in a bit of a different way and perhaps appreciating it more fully knowing it a bit more fully. Bringing this sense of calm is so essential in leaving a retreat to see if in our leaving there can be a sense of calmness and to bring this calm, this spaciousness, this peace into our day-to-day life, our daily existence. This is our challenge in practice to not negate retreats, to not negate daily life. To embrace both the time spent in this way with one another in silence and as well to embrace whatever it is that we're presented with in our life. If we don't, we get involved in separation in duality in pushing away one aspect of practice and holding on to another, clinging on to another. So can we really work with this flow, time spent in silence, as well as time spent in movement, in action, in speaking. When the mind is calm, when the heart has a sense of peace to it, we can see the different options that we may have in our lives when the heart is kind of clogged up by different distractions and thoughts, you can really get a sense of there being, it sort of chokes off wisdom, kind of clogs up in the insides. And with the sense of spaciousness and calm and peace that we feel that we can touch in practice in each moment, regardless of being on retreat or off retreat, it allows wisdom to really flourish, to be full. In the poem that I read a couple of days ago, I'm remembering that line of allowing one's mud to settle, the right action arising in and of itself. Allowing one's mud to settle is allowing everything to settle back into calm, into peace. And then wise action arising in and of itself we can see our different options we can see what wise action actually is and there's no formula you know there's no particular way that it's supposed to look it's not supposed to look conventional it's not supposed to look unconventional it doesn't have one appearance to it because wisdom is beyond appearance it's quite fluid it's quite flexible And it's really learning more and more how to respond to the moment, to whatever it is that's occurring in the moment, then reaction. And this is very much where calm comes in really handy. Without calm, we are reacting to stimuli. We're clinging, there's aversion, there's confusion, there's delusion. We can't see very clearly. Calmness illuminates the mind allows for depth, allows for power and strength of heart, so that we can see what has to be done. We can do what has to be done. We can say what has to be said. We cannot say what may be best left unsaid. When there's calm, when there is presentness in the moment, we can have a variety of different options to choose from. Rather than being pushed and pulled around by conditioning, we can meet each moment with fullness and with grace. And that grace, again, looks any different way. It's not shown in one particular way. We can cultivate calm by not cleaning our rooms. That was a joke. <laughs> And we can see how our environment affects our minds, whatever way it may do so. More importantly, to look at the inner environment to see what needs to be ordered within, what needs to be nourished, cultivated, what needs to be put down and let go of. Letting go inwardly of that which is non-essential of that which is unnecessary. When we come upon issues in our life, issues that may be long-standing or issues that come up every day in a repetitive way, there are two kinds of issues. One kind is the kind that we have to allow to work out in its own way, kind of like the the Zen the same analogy of having a hot coal in one's throat that one can neither swallow down or spit up it's a very strong kind of kind of <laughs> example but that's when there's something occurring that we just need to treat with great love and great patience and have as a life question for ourselves to be as gentle and as tender and as loving and as patient as possible until it lets go of us until it naturally is either swallowed down or let go of. There are a lot of other kinds of issues that aren't of this sort at all, that really we're sticking to ourselves through clinging and through aversion. And if we could see that which is not essential to cling to any longer, see that which is not essential to push away any longer, there is an immediate sense of spaciousness and calm. You know, in that way, it's really easy. It's not a big deal at all to feel a sense of calm in our life when we can see what is being clung to that might easily melt away with just a little bit of awareness. That which we're pushing away that we don't need to push away. That is just the way life is in its imperfect nature. In our daily life, we can take refuge. We can take refuge in the posture itself. We can take refuge in the breath. We can take refuge in the body. We can take refuge in the practice of metta. It's very difficult in daily life, when we're being overwhelmed by a particular feeling or a particular repetitive thought, to simply see the feeling and let it go. Sometimes it feels quite crushing or overwhelming. And if so, in any way we can, we need to create some sense of space. We need to create some sense of openness. And it's so helpful to simply take refuge in the feet touching the floor. You know, it's so simple, just the feet touching the floor when there's a lot of fear or a lot of anger. Taking refuge in the breath as something that is always there to be taken refuge in. The in-breath, the out-breath, the in-breath, the out-breath, and gradually the mind calms down, sometimes quite quickly it calms down. And then we can bring our attention to the actuality of whatever it is that's occurring quite easily. Metta practice operates in this way as well. When there is something very strong happening and we're overwhelmed, we can practice a little bit of metta. May I be full of peace. May you be full of peace. May I be full of joy. May you be full of joy. May I be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering. And sometimes it instantly opens up a little bit of space. And all we need is a little bit. We don't need a whole lot. We need just a little bit. So that we can remember to be mindful, to be aware once again. And in-awareness is transformation. You know, on retreat, we hear a lot about trying to not figure things out. And we get this. We understand this to some degree. And we're attempting to refrain from figuring things out and attempting to rest in awareness. It's a lot harder in our daily life because this is what we know. This is what the conditioning is. This is what our education is. When something is happening that feels a bit strong or overwhelming, the mind naturally clicks into trying to figure things out. And so to remember beyond this retreat of how non-valuable it is (laughs) to reflect on times when we have tried quite earnestly, quite sincerely, and it hasn't been all that helpful. And so to really remember what we know, perhaps all of us know on a different level right now, but to bring this, as much as possible, into our daily life existence, trusting awareness, taking refuge in awareness. On a retreat, there's a sense of spaciousness, oftentimes by the end of a retreat, no matter how long the retreat is. It's, it's as if the mind expands a little bit, or the heart rests a little bit more, and you know, we feel like everything has dropped a little bit more in our bodies, more in our hearts, more aware of what's happening in a very spacious way. And when this happens, our priorities, our values are highlighted. We naturally see what we value in life, what is meaningful for us in life, and perhaps what is no longer meaningful for us as well. And it's very clear, it's very vivid, it's very illuminated, simply because of this spaciousness of mind. And this is really something that we need to cultivate in our daily life, to really continue to activate the priorities that we see, to continue to activate, to act on the values that are so meaningful and important to us, to really apply our values and our priorities Two ways of of doing this. One way is working with the sitting practice. Some amount of sitting every day is really, really helpful. I feel like it's survival to just sit a little bit every day. Maybe a lot, maybe a little. It is really important though not to make it into an obligation, you know, like brushing one's teeth or something that one kind of checks off every day. Ah, oh, good yogi, check. Yeah. <laughs> And so you get a little glow or whatever, but meanwhile, you're not very full in the sitting itself. It's much better to not see it as a form, but to see it as a joy, to see it as survival in a very wonderful way, that it's how the heart survives. It's really how we can make our way in life, not just trying to cope, not just trying to fix or... Um, manipulate things so that they are in accordance with what we, how we think things should be. But a deeper kind of meaning, a real surrender to how life actually is. And so to notice where there is the sense of obligation or heaviness about the sitting, and to remember that that's just conditioning. That sense of obligation is bondage, and it's really just conditioning. It's not real. The sitting practice invites us into joy. The sitting practice invites us into freedom and has nothing to do with shoulds at all. It's probably one of the few things in our life that doesn't include a should. It really is pure joy, even when it's not. Even when it's not, means that sometimes it's not going to be comfortable, as we all know. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be something that we have to really um, stay still for. This is really joy as well, to do something or to not do something that is truly of meaning, and to stay still in the midst of the discomfort. You know, not not saying that... Um, It's so dependent, our life is so dependent on whether things are comfortable or uncomfortable. But sitting, because there's something else surrounding or underneath, being either comfortable or uncomfortable, that we can touch within ourselves, that we can use the sitting to touch within ourselves. So, in terms of the amount of time that one sits each day, it really is very, very individual. And to take away the sense of heaviness and obligation, to bring in instead the reason why we're here, which is because of joy, and to set any amount, any moment of mindfulness is extremely important. Every moment of mindfulness deconditions the mind, deconditions the heart from suffering. And so, throughout the day if there's any moment that we can sit in our daily life. Not having this idea of I have to sit for an hour, or I have to sit for 45 minutes, or I have to sit for 20 minutes, but some time throughout the day whenever we get a chance of just sitting, of stopping, of staying still, of standing, of sitting wherever it is that you're working. Many times we're sitting, so to just sit at times Um, to find the moments that we can to practice as well as having perhaps a more formal practice where we are attempting to sit for a specific amount of time. In this specific amount of time, to be quite modest about how long that amount of time is because one can have a lot of ambition and a lot of strong feeling about what it should be and then it's quite undermining if one doesn't live up to that so it's much better to be quite modest in how long one decides to sit each day, and then to let go in the midst of it, just to sit, just to sit. To let go of expectations in how the sitting should be, at the same time to sit with a sense of intention, with a sense of meaning in the sitting itself. It's so helpful to sit with others Um, I was remembering that some years ago I had a friend um, that I used to sit with every Friday afternoon for three hours. Our lives were quite full with work and lots of different things were going on, but we sat together for three hours every Friday and it was absolutely wonderful. So I I just offer this to you um, to have a sitting date with a friend to just sit, walk, sit, walk. Somebody ring the bell, that kind of thing. It's, it's very cozy. You know, it's a very, very nice thing to do in friendship as well. Um, it helps one's own practice, and it's also a good thing for friendship. Staying alive in the present. When we are alive in the present, everything becomes a gift. Whatever it is that's occurring becomes a gift and is transformed through awareness. So I wish you a safe journey home and I've been very privileged to be here this week and I wish you a lot of love.
1: When we began this retreat, it probably seems like a hundred years ago now, if you remember it, the first days of that retreat, what was required and asked of you in terms of patience and acceptance and steadiness, Um, the willingness to learn in order for the practice to deepen, in order for you really to begin to feel at home within yourself. Now, in leaving a retreat, of course, we are making another transition. And that transition actually requires those very same qualities of patience and acceptance, and steadiness, and willingness to learn. Um, It is helpful on leaving a retreat actually to have the intention that your first days out in these different forms in your life are days when you do actually take as much care as possible, where you go slowly, where you go very mindfully where you don't place yourself in a situation of uh, feeling bombarded or feeling an urgency to catch up on every little thing you might have missed in the last week, it really is not helpful. It is more helpful to be taking care of that transition in a very conscious way. We do, we are inclined, I think, to make a very false dichotomy between retreats and the rest of our lives and it is a false dichotomy and then sometimes leaving retreats we have apprehensions and anxieties about you know how do I maintain this and all those kinds of questions you know how do I keep this going and all that stuff We don't actually maintain anything. This is wrong view, actually. Um, Meditation is never an attempt to maintain anything, not to maintain a particular state, not to maintain a particular uh, achievement or way of experiencing. You know that doesn't work in your practice. Why should it work anywhere else? It doesn't. Meditation we see in our own experience, is not something we possess and preserve. It is something that we live, that we renew, again and again and again. We've seen that on retreat, the power of our intentions, to renew connectedness, to renew intimacy, to renew mindfulness. That is what we do in meditation. Is a constant renewal, revival, um, reforming bonds. It is the same in our lives. We have a one particular form here. You know, this is a form: the silence, this place, the schedule, um, the the ways that we sit and walk. It's one particular form, but. On one level, that form is actually quite empty. And on another level, that form can actually be quite full. And we see what actually makes this form meaningful is actually our own intentions to understand our willingness to be awake and the effort that we put into being awake. And it is more important to honor all of that, that intention to be awake, the willingness to learn, than to make something overly special of the form. Um, because the form in itself, of course, is not something magical about it. I mean, you know, if you put someone in this room for a week who had absolutely no interest in being awake, you know, they would sit here for a week you know, and do lots of other things. Um, but there, there wouldn't be a vehicle for them for being awake. And it is really important to honor that actually what makes this form transformative is actually our own dedication and commitment and effort, not the form in itself. Clearly, um, there's nothing geographical, particularly about um, you know our our willingness to be awake, our intention to deepen our openness to learning, our commitment to being present. I mean this is not geographical, you know we don't have particular investment you know it's not invested in Barrie, Massachusetts, you know, the home of all enlightenment it's, it's <laughs> It's. this is something, of course, always accessible and available to us, and it is something that we really need to honor and utilize in all of our lives. Coming into a retreat, you know we need patience, we need faith, we need renunciation, we need compassion, we need acceptance. If you took a monk or a nun, and put them into your life and ask them to live it well, you know, to raise your children or to do your jobs or to clean your house or, you know, to live within your final facts. Well, you know, that monk or nun is going to need a lot of things, but they're going to need patience. They're going to need the willingness to learn. They're going to need renunciation. They're going to need compassion. They're going to need surrender. You know, it is really important to appreciate how our world is formed by our own clarity or lack of clarity. How, when there is, you know, a lack of clarity, we do tend to make up our own version of life as we go along, you know, and often feel rather imprisoned by it. And how, when there is clarity, there is a different way of relating to our lives and to our world, which is based upon seeing what is actually present. Seeing what is actually present. This is the gift of mindfulness. Narayan spoke about the value of taking some times to be still in our days. Um, Also helpful to actually, one way of fostering stillness is to actually learn to pause in those moments between ending one thing and beginning another our lives are made up of a thousand beginnings and endings you know we end a telephone call and then we begin another task we end a conversation and then we begin something else you know we end one activity and then we begin another Um, to learn how to acknowledge those endings and beginnings. To learn how just to be still for a moment in those pauses between endings and the beginnings, is a very major way of not accumulating. Not accumulating. Most reactivity... um, um, Feelings of just being overwhelmed or being bombarded, they are actually the experience of accumulation. You know, that we accumulate so much kind of unfinished business, loose ends, incompl- sense of incompleteness, and in things that we do. And so our minds have to be so heroic, you know, in trying to carry. All of this stuff, you know, all those moments in a day, our minds are trying to carry them all. And so of course, you know, we are very vulnerable to reactiveness, to feeling disconnected, and to learning how to be more still in our endings and in our... Begi- between our endings and beginnings is actually a way of letting something go. It may be incomplete, but we have actually turned our attention away from it. We have turned our attention to something else. To be able to pause for a moment is to acknowledge that finishing, that transition, and maybe not to accumulate so much. I think, you know, acknowledging that all of our lives, of course, are made up of forms. You know, we have the form of our relationships, we have the form of our roles, you know, maybe being a parent or a partner or an employee or an employer. We have all of these different forms um, that are present in our lives. And acknowledging that those forms, just like meditation, are in many ways empty in themselves and that they also become very full, become vehicles of communicating what we feel to be most true and authentic when we are actually present within them, when they are actually embodying what we feel to be true. Now you know we talk a lot about calmness and peace, but there isn't actually. It's very difficult to find calmness and peace if there is a big, um, a big distance or a big contradiction between our some of the forms in our lives and what we actually value and honor within ourselves. You know, it's very difficult to find peace if we feel that we're not actually embodying it in our lives. That if our, you know, as if our lives are just something that we do, you know, and then inwardly, you know, we have this very different, separate life. It doesn't work like that. Our inner lives and outer lives inform each other constantly. And there needs to be a harmony, a sense of harmony outwardly and inwardly. that the activities we engage in, the work we engage in, the relationships that we engage in, we actually feel that these are, way, are places in which we can articulate and express what we value and honor, and that these forms also help us to deepen in understanding of what we value and honor. This integration is very important. Without it, it is like you know trying to sustain a candle, in a rainstorm it doesn't really work so you know deepening in peace and calm it's not just a question of inner work it also is a question of finding balance and harmony between the inner and the outer this is very important otherwise we often feel to be you know, just kind of spinning our wheels and staying in place. You know, and using retreats as kind of um, prescriptions or medicine to 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 solve that sense of unease. You know, that may be existing in our lives. So it is important not only to look inwardly, but to look outwardly. And sometimes, you know, having a commitment to deepening in peace and deepening in calmness. It means making choices, just like we make choices on retreat. You know, we make choices not to engage in fantasy or daydreams or dwelling, and we see that those choices actually create space, um, create openness in which understanding can emerge. But we also need to make choices in our lives. You know, it is um, a great tragedy, when we set up our list of priorities in such a way where caring for our well-being and understanding is very low down on the list after we've done all the other things, you know, our social lives and everything else, um, this is a big tragedy. We need to kind of reorder those priorities a little bit. And sometimes that means making choices. I mean, as I mentioned the other day, you know, when we speak about simplicity, you know, simplicity is, you know, doesn't fall from the heavens. It is something that we nurture and foster. And um, I never met anybody actually who found simplicity without actually some renunciation. It's, it's, I don't see how that works, you know, it's like we want everything. And yet we want to be simple too it doesn't doesn't actually work, so we do need to make choices around how we spend our time and how, what we commit our energy to, and those choices are available to us all the time you know i mean I don't know in in England, you know we have this phenomenon you probably have it here too you know we where you know say commuting this is a good example, well you know. I, I hear about people who are commuting, you know, and they've got a talking book and a stereo, you know, and a Pepsi here, you know, and you know, they, and and it's time to think about this. What well, there's choices we can make here. We can just be driving. You know, there's nothing wrong with just driving. Um, you know we're waiting for a bus, you know, we can pull a book out and use that time really usefully, you know, and we can just wait for a bus. You know, it, there are so many choices we make all the time, you know, we're eating our lunch, you know, and, you know, maybe we've got headphones on and a book in our hand and something <laughs> going in our mouth, you know, and we say, oh, I'm relaxing, you know. You <laughs> know, this is not relaxing, you know, this is distracting. This is not relaxing, and distracting and relaxing are two very different things. And if we can make that distinction, they are two very different things. Relaxing is about letting go and opening and being a little bit more still and simple. And just looking at the choices that we might actually be able to make in our lives as ways of creating space. And Mother Teresa once said, we are not asked to do great things in our lives, we are asked to do small things with great love. And this is actually the path of mindfulness. Learning how to do small things with great love actually acknowledging that all things that we do or engage in are worthy of our wholehearted attentiveness, are worthy of the fullness of our presence, not just a little bit, but the fullness of our presence. Looking at the ways in which we might nourish ourselves, the ways in which we can be nourished. Nourishment comes from many different places, from being in nature, from being in community with like-minded people. Nourishment comes from doing retreats. Nourishment can come from reading, as I mentioned in the question periods. But to read carefully, you know, there are millions of books out there. They've got millions of books here. <laughs> but to read carefully, you know, that this is not a kind of appetite that we're trying to satisfy. But, you know, if you find something, a prayer or a poem or a book that is really meaningful to you, that actually speaks to you, to spend a little time with it, you know, to read it again, to read it a few times, to digest it to read it like a meditation this is also I'd have to tell you a great gift to the people who write these books you know speaking as an author you know I have to tell you that you produce something you know you spend years you know blood sweat tears producing this thing and somebody says you, oh yeah I read that yesterday you know <laughs> <laughs> To have a sense, you know, that this is something we're digesting, we're absorbing, you know. Um, We are using it as part of our practice to look at the ways in which we can nourish ourselves. Because for anything to grow, for anything to deepen and to unfold, it does require nourishment. And sometimes we need to put aside... The busyness of our lives, and look at how we nourish ourselves. You know, it's very easy for us to speak in generalizations, in generalities, but we live our lives in details. You know, it's very easy for us to say, you know, oh, you know, I, I really think renunciation is a great idea. What are we renouncing? What are we renouncing and where are we clinging? You know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, everything's impermanent. You know, meanwhile we're wrestling with desperately trying to hold on to something that's changing, you know, or trying to manipulate the moment. We live our lives in the details, you know, and it is in the details of our lives, how we speak, how we act, how we live, that actually many of these kind of concepts or terms which we think are great ideas, actually become very meaningful. And it's the details of our lives actually that we need to pay attention to. And one of those areas that actually is very helpful to pay attention to is in the area of speech. Speech is actually the place where most people lose it just lose it, you know. You get into some situation, you know, and even with great intentions, you know, but there's some, you know, real passion or intensity and it's just gone you know, or sometimes, you know, it seems like with our speech, like there's some direct hotline, you know, between our mouths and our whole history of conditioning, you know, <laughs> with nothing in between, you know, and we open our mouths and there's all this stuff that's flying out, you know, and after she we say, well, you know, that's not what I wanted to say, you know, why did I say all that? That wasn't useful, that wasn't helpful, it wasn't necessary, and it just gets us into so much trouble. You know, regrets and, you know, feelings that we'd like to take that back. You know, well, it's gone. You know, we don't take it back. And speech is a wonderful area to bring mindfulness into to help us to be aware in our lives because our speech are our articulated thoughts. And our thoughts are about our feelings. You know. There is this kind of interconnectedness there. So just being a little bit mindful about our speech actually is a way of helping us to tune into the whole of our being. And it actually makes our lives a little bit more. It brings more sensitivity to our lives. Um, Again, just I would like... To thank you for all of your presence and your commitment and your efforts here during this week. It's been very wonderful. And it has been, as Noreen said, a, a privilege to be here. Um, also, you know, yesterday Linda was speaking about Dana and to thank you for the, for the Dana you offer because it is not only what makes it possible for us to teach but what makes, us, makes it possible for the whole of this teaching tradition to continue. So we thank you for that. And if we just have a closing, just a short (coughs) mantas. Just calmly and gently Just once more settling into your body and settling into this moment, being present within yourself, present within this community, and present within this building, this place. Fostering, nurturing inwardly. Sense of warmth and ease. Just allowing yourself just to be. To be present with kindness and softness. An offering to yourself a heartfelt sense of appreciation and respect, honoring the energy and the effort you have brought to being here, honoring your willingness to stay open amidst the difficult and amidst the easy. Honoring your own willingness to learn. And offering to yourself your heartfelt wishes for your well-being and safety and peace. May I be free from conflict and from fear. May I be free from alienation and disconnection. May I live with warmth of heart, with kindness and compassion, welcoming myself in all ways in all moments, welcoming each person who comes into my life with warmth and sensitivity, welcoming each moment that arises, serenity and openness. and offering that same warmth and loving kindness and friendliness to each woman in the room, to each person in this building, appreciating their presence and the ways in which they have supported you through their stillness, commitment. May you be free from conflict and fear. May you be free from harm, from alienation. May you live with joy, happiness in your heart, you live with peace in your life? Offering that same warmth and friendliness to all of those who are close to us in our lives, who we care for, Offering our heartfelt wishes for their well-being, for their peace and happiness we wish them to find in their hearts and in their lives. To all of those in our world who we don't know, and to those in our world who we struggle with, offering that same friendliness and want, our wishes for their well-being. All of those in our world who at this moment may be afraid or hungry or sick or dying, who may be living amidst violence or terror or loneliness. offering our heartfelt wishes warmth and friendliness, they may find and discover ease of being. May all beings be free from conflict and fear. May all beings be free from harm and alienation. May all beings find peace in their hearts. Safety and well being in their lives. May all beings live with warmth and friendliness. May all beings live with wisdom and with compassion. May all beings be at peace within themselves. May all beings. At peace within all moments. May all beings live in peace.